let's go to Collector's Corner now. Uh, and I suspect most listeners will have some sort of memory relating to sewing or sewing machines, whether it's a neighbour with a mouthful of pins hemming the cuffs of your dad's slacks, or maybe you were fascinated with the old sewing machine at your Aunt Betty's place. Whatever your sewing memory, it'll come as no surprise that vintage sewing machines and sewing paraphernalia have become collector's items in some circles, specifically in sewing circles. And one of the most ardent collectors of sewing-related collectibles in New Zealand is Faye Snook from Pukekohe, who has spent <laughs> the, lace, the last 20 years amassing sewing machines of various vintages. You say Snook or Snook? Snook. Snook. Yeah. Faye, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi. How are you? Oh, yes. I'm really delighted to meet you. Thank you very much for spending some time with us this afternoon. You better tell us how you got started. Well, I've always had an interest in sewing machines, um, or particularly in sewing, because I was sewing from an early age with a mother and grandmother that sewed. Yeah. But I got into old machines because my husband and I were walking down a street in Dominion Road years and years ago, probably 25 years ago, and I saw this machine and I just loved the shape of it. It was a Wilcox and Gibbs, an American one, about 1874, and I asked if I could go in and buy it, and he said, it's not for sale. And I said, oh, would you put a price on it? And he put a price on it of $180, which was quite high in those days, and I bought it. <laughs> and I've never <laughs> and I've never regretted it. I just love it. And uh, it's just the um, Wilcox and Gibbs, they, they're very smooth moving and just very attractive to look at. Yeah, mm. I've just um, got a picture of one. It's almost um, it's got a circular shape, right? The, mm. There's a bend in that upper arm. Mm. Those are the ones I really like. They're the ones that the... Um, early settlers brought to New Zealand yeah. because they could pack them in a little wooden box. Yeah. And and in those days, the woman did all the sewing for the family, the underwear, the petticoats, everything. So it was a very valuable item in an early household. And, and you hadn't, I mean, you weren't collecting sewing machines at that point, but you just saw it and you knew it was destined to be in your mm. house. I loved it, and I still love them. Yeah. I, I like the little early cast iron ones that sit on a table, but then I've met other collectors and, and diversified, so now I've got uh, treadles and I've got some toy ones and other other sewing collectibles. <laughs> they're, very, <laughs> they're just beautifully made, beautifully designed, work beautifully, quite elegant, and the Victorian ones are quite ornate too. So it's a combination of things for you. It's the, it's the design, the beauty of these machines, and, man, they would have built them to last back in those days, mm-hmm. plus, I guess, the, the history that is embodied in them. Yes, yes. And it's interesting because there's male collectors too. There's a wonderful sewing machine museum in London. I think it's only open one Sunday a month. But if ever you're in London, you should look it up. Um, there's some amazing machines out there, and they're so collectible. But, of course, a lot of them got sort of um, destroyed after the war and things. Mm. But mm. Uh, Are you interested in seeing collections like, like, like that at the Sewing Machine Museum, or are you just interested in your own ones? Like, Do you get anything out of going to see um, other sewing machines on display? Yes, I'm a member of the ISMAX. I'm not a current member of the ISMAX, which is the International Sewing Machine Collector Society. And I've been to two conventions, a wonderful one in America, um, where we saw some private collections, and I've been to one in Australia. But, um, yeah, the, the sewing machine was developed probably earlier than the typewriter, and the sewing machine allowed people to mass-produce um, clothing, which prior to that had been made by hand, 
Um, because if you think about a hand a hand needle, hand sewing needle has the eye at the top end, but a sewing machine needs the eye at the lower end of the needle. Yeah. So it took a long time for the patents to go through development. Everyone was trying to improve on the last uh, one, and there was there were huge wars amongst the um, yeah amongst the developers. And I mean that started way back in the early eighteen hundreds. And I suppose back in those days it was an essential part of the household. Oh, yes. After the war, like 1930, 1950, um, most homes would have had a, had a sewing machine. In New Zealand, most homes would have had a singer sewing machine because he was a very interesting character. Uh, <laughs> Go on. <laughs> He's very colourful. You should look him up on the internet because uh, he was born in upstate New York in 1811 um, and he developed an interest in the theatre, in machines and women, probably not in that order, mind you, because he ended up fathering 24 children with five different women and was quite an entrepreneur. But he, he wasn't a good businessman, so he ended up working with um, a business partner and then he fell out with most of them. But um, he was significant because he had a business partner who was actually who had a legal background, a guy called Edward Clark. And together they developed the first practical, commercially successful sewing machine and became the first multinational company, really, and developed a form of higher purchase where they knew that women didn't have disposable income, so they allowed a woman to sew up, to pay off her sewing machine. And that was the start of sort of higher patch- high purchase right. across the world. It makes sense, right? Oh. Huh. Mm. Okay, back to your sewing machine collection. So how many do you have now? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't count them before this interview, Faye? No, no, no. I've got he- I've got heaps, and some of them are packed away, and some of them are in parts. Oh, I, I don't know. I wouldn't honestly. I wouldn't even have a guess. Um, no, I wouldn't know. I've probably got about fifteen or twenty table models. Those are the ones I really like to start with, and then I've got toys. Some of the toys are quite wonderful. You get little German tin plate toys. Uh, and some of the adult ones are quite small. People think they're toys, but they're not. Mm. There's a little Moldercott one, which is quite fascinating. It looks like an egg beater. Um, there's one actually on Trade Me at the moment, but it's not a very good example. Um, yeah, and they they were small enough that you could wrap them in a cloth and put them in your drawer. But they were an adult, they were an adult sewing machine. Um, but they're quite quite funky. They they yeah they just look like a little egg beater. They've got a tiny little bobbin. Yeah. And we'll, we'll actually sew. Would you ever consider put, putting them all together in a little display um, room where people could come and check them out? Yeah, I did. Well, I haven't got a display as such. I did. I've got a shop in Pukekai, but when I was on the main street, I used to have a, a shelf in the shop, but I haven't at the moment. But yeah, I've got a shop in Pukekai called the Old So and So, which is a bit of a joke. But um, <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, that's great. No. <laughs> yeah. Are, are there many other collectors in New Zealand? There's people that have small collections of um, toys and different things, but probably I'd be one of the more serious ones. I think probably there's only five or seven collectors, I would say. Some of them are people, men who've been, um, people who've done repairs on machines and then they've ended up with a little collection of their own, but they might not be serious collectors. They've just kept some of the more interesting ones that have come in as trade-ins and things. Mm. Do you think you'll stick with it? Uh, I've probably got a good enough collection now. I'm fairly fussy what I buy. If I buy anything now, I'm, I am quite selective. I probably should start reducing the collection, to be honest. <laughs> How will you do that? 
I'll sell them off bit by bit, I suppose. <laughs> but some of the some of the um, sewing tools are quite fascinating. Mm. Yeah, tell me yeah. more about that. Uh, there's beautiful Victorian work boxes. Some of them are made out of paper mache with mother of pearl decorations, and all the tools with mother of pearl handles and things. I've got um, a little one made with cocoa nut, where you open, unscrew it all, and there's little needle and thread inside. Um, the nanny brooch is an interesting one that some people have never seen. It's a little long brooch, which um, was sort of a prestige thing, really, that um, families that had money and employed a nanny would have one, particularly in England, uh, where they walked the children in the pram. The baby might be in the pram in the park. And the little brooches, you can pick them up still for about $200. They're a long um, brass brooch with a little bit of decoration, like a little brass leaves or something like that. And they have a, a little ball end, which one end un- unscrews, and inside there's a little cylinder, and there's some black and white cotton wrapped around it, and usually one or two pins and a needle inside for doing emergency repairs. And in the centre of the brooch, they have a, a decorative sort of a stone, gold stone or an amethyst or a small cameo. So they're quite fascinating. Yeah, I've never heard of those before. No, no, quite amazing. Well, I mean, that I imagine that that sort of have antique value now, would they? Yeah, they're not fiercely expensive. I mean, they're t- probably two hundred. I, I think I bought one on trade. Me a plainer one, the goldstone are the more common ones. And they, I got one for about sixty dollars a few years, a couple of years ago. Do you still find mm-hmm. yourself browsing trade me for vintage sewing machines? Yeah, oh, not vintage. They're really antique. They're earlier. You see, most of what I collect would be between eighteen seventy and nineteen hundred. Yeah, wow. Do you reckon there are still many of them out there? Yeah, lots. I mean, if you think of Singer, I mean, by the early 19th century, he was making two million sewing machines per year. And and they were expensive items. I mean, mm. women had to pay them off. See, I just looked it up. In the 1850s, a Singer sewing machine cost $125 US American. And that was an expensive purchase. But you see... It sped up sewing so quickly. I mean, in the old days where you had to sew everything by hand, um, there was a guy, one of the early developers, a guy, a French guy called, uh, I can never say his name, the Momonier. He was a French tailor and he realised that he could produce things faster by having machines and he developed one. And they're all quite different. But by 1841, he'd made 80 machines for his workshop making clothes for the French army. And it sewed 200 stitches per minute. Well, you could never do that by hand. Tell you what, see you at so-and-so in Pukekohe. Uh, I am. Join these stories and uh, the old sign, so it's called. And thank you very much for joining us today to tell us about your antique sewing machines. Oh, thank you. Face Nook, who's our star of Collector's Corner today.